0: On this episode, I talk to a former teammate of mine. He's still a good friend. Forwards coach of Ulster, Botswanan born, Jiu Jitsu king, legendary, Roddy Grant.
1: This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, We're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth, plus view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
0: Give me a, yeah! Big Jim is wearing his heels, marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now, and he's big and red. A shot of black coffee, now he's super dead. He gives lies. I'm the beer diggers. A shoulder of some whiskey, and he shoots like a ball. Bitch, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um Roddy, we are in Kangwon Coffee. Let's give him a shout out in Edinburgh. Yeah,
2: awesome. It's a it's a great spot right in the mix of town. Uh, parked the car up, had a walk, saw the saw the castle, which is always a treat. Roddy, looking
0: unbelievably well. <laughs> we were chatting off, off air. Listen to us. The size,
2: of, how's your neck so big still? No, neck has shrunk a lot. I used to have a good neck on me. It will be, what, 17 and a half inches, I think? And then now wedding season nowadays, it's a struggle. Struggle is real. You get on and there's a bit of play in the neck. And it's funny, like guys, especially rugby guys, I find... Obviously, we've all got our issues and our like, body dysmorphia issues. That's one of the many things that like, gets me down about not being a professional athlete or trainer anymore. Like, neck, gone.
0: Are you, are you, are you joking or not? Are you, <laughs> look, are you looking at me when you say the neck's gone? Because I'm looking at you and you look like a bodybuilder.
2: From, from what it was, Gone. And those are things you can feel, kind of you can feel a bit, of, a bit of room in the in the collar. Well, I certainly can, yeah.
0: <laughs> and look at the arms as well. Like, how have you kept in such good shape? Because I say this, a lot of people retire and they look like a sack of spuds. Not that I'm an oil painting, but I'm actually all right in the grand scheme of things. But you look unbelievable. Yeah. How are you fitting that in
2: with coaching and traveling and family? You're like a Great Dane as well. You've got to, it's hard to that keep on good. top of it. That that ain't well, good. you're not going to last long, obviously, no. like a Great Dane. But they, they look good for about seven years. Um. No, I I appreciate it. I need all the help I can get, you know, niche market, red hair. (laughs) I need to keep in some sort of shape. Um, Yeah, no, I just just try top up, top up training here and there. Um, I don't know if you find it, but I definitely don't need a lot of training to feel all right or feel in reasonable shape. Whether it's just all the years of training we've done. Genetics, that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> it's absolute genetics.
0: Growing and, up in the sun. Yeah, well we'll get on to the South African lifestyle that you were accustomed yeah. to as a young kid. Let's just talk about our time when I'd retired, you were coaching in Edinburgh and we did a bit of rolling. And for the listeners who don't know what rolling is, basically jujitsu
2: wrestling. Yeah. Jiu Jitsu, weren't it? Yeah, yeah, jujitsu, yeah. I was all right, weren't I? You were good. Um do you know what it's funny? I find um is amazing. Like I think it's the most amazing sport I've got two girls if I had a son I would be the the thing I recommend to anyone about any sport to get them into either development um or their enjoyment I think there's there's so much in it um it's like you know mentally through to physically so mentally just a one-on-one competition with someone I think in life or sport in general there's there's so few sports that um that that's so apparent you know someone trying to strangle you choke you um and that battle you have in your head of staying calm within that fight or flight all the all the all the stuff that people just don't have these days um through to humility you know like the ricky young's gym that we that we went to um oh jeez, i remember going and because you know i'd be fit and i'd look strong and and i'd sort of naturally move well in terms of rolling around and mauling rucking it's all sort of the same and i find jujitsu now a lot of the gyms are you know really friendly they're not as old school anymore so they're a lot more welcoming to a whole range of people so i find a lot of the people that go now are like out and out nerds and because it's such a strategic game it's safe you know there's no striking so there's no real trauma that you get and it's all up to you when you tap but i find um yeah a lot of them are the real nerds so there, there was one he'd be about six 6'3", six, 6'4", six, so a lot taller than me, but 60 kilos with a wet shirt on or a wet uh, gi or a, or a wet rash vest, as you'd wear in, in jiu-jitsu. And he swapped partners and I'd, he was eyeing me the whole time and I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'd, at least I can, I don't know, make up lack of technique and experience with a bit of strength. So I get him and honestly, mate, within five minutes, I'd tapped. I had to tap uh, probably eight times just because he had long limbs, and he just got me every single time. And it was a real moment of being like, oh, do you know what? One, it was terrible, but it was a great feeling knowing there's there's levels to anything. So I think for kids or sportsmen or rugby or the everyday professional, like, there's nowhere more apparent that there's levels to ability, mindset, to calmness, to competition than jiu-jitsu. And there's always going to be someone better than you, always. Um, It was a leveler. As in, for me,
0: I've gone in there thinking one of the strongest ever to have done it around the mall, around yeah. counter-rooking. Yeah. And then me and you were starting to do it. Let's remember, I'm now 39. I was around 37 when we were doing it. Stiff as a bloody board. So I couldn't get into the positions. You must have tapped me out about 24, 25 times. I told you, though, I was a striker, didn't I? Did I t- <laughs> tell you that when I was on
2: my back? Or on my front? I mean, it's funny. but you, Yeah, you did. Um, but also... Well, yeah, you would, be, you would be handy with your hands.
0: Like, as in, I saw jiu-jitsu as basically like UFC. As in, if you were yeah. tough around striking, if you could wrestle, if you could more, then you'd be all right. What I struggled with massively doing that with you is that I had to change partners because you kept tapping me out. And so they no word of a lie, they put me with a couple of the women. And Rick said to me, once they get you in a compromised position, you can't wrench out because you're strong as an ox gym. You can't wrench out, so you have to succumb to the position that you're in. And I, I remember Mied was in the weirdest of places. Like, they've got me, like, I don't know what kind of lock it was, but head's between the legs, and she's pulling on a heel. I know. <laughs> right. she's, I'm like, this is, like, as in even with my wife, I'm never in these <laughs> positions. And she's pulling me on the heel. And I'm thinking, I'm getting choked out here. Like, do I try and wrench out? And could I break a leg? I probably wouldn't have broke a leg. And I, anyway, my point being, I'm getting t- tapped out left, right, and center, not just by you. By every single person in that
2: gym. That's why I've not been back. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's an ego thing. Yeah, but but that's but do you not find, you know, at this age and this stage of our lives, you could learn something new and, and naturally you'd be really good at it. No, I'm not at that point now. <laughs> no, okay. You completely put me off. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you wrestle with the lads at yeah, Ulster? I do, yeah, I do. Um and do you know that that's so funny that there's two reasons why I try to do it. One is it's good fun for me getting back into it, get a sweat on. It's good conditioning. Uh, we do a lot with a forward. So a lot in preseason, we do a lot, of, a lot of work on a wall. So standing stuff. So the issue I think people have, especially in trying to find um, crossovers from other sports, is the real art, not the science. The art of it is finding actually how it does and explaining it to players, it's a whole another subject of players are a lot more questioning now as to why they're doing things, which is great, because it puts pressure on you to tell them why and, and, and show them you know, the benefits for it. So I try use as much, I suppose knowledge or my thought on it is why it's a crossover, to mauling, to tackling. But with a forward specifically, standing against the wall, so sort of greco roman wrestling. So it's easier on the groins and, as you say, limbs on the floor because you're standing and it's all about pressure. So you're forcing your opponent against the wall and the guy against the wall has to try spin you around and put you against the wall. So there's relatively little movement, which is safe in rugby because how many stories do you hear of jujitsu guys or judo guys coming to camps and just knees blowing, blowing out and whatnot? So you have to look after that. There's such a big crossover to mauling. You know, and, and as you said, you, you were genuinely one of the best maulers I've ever played with. Dwayne would be the best, unfortunately. I'll take it. If I'm so, behind him, I'm all right. <laughs> so there's a lot of lot of crossover. So if you can point out the reasons why the push pull, the, the benefit of pressure, like you know, when Rick, the black belt the owner of Rick Young's World Masters four years in a row, he's 60 kilos, but he could tap you just by pressure on your chest, which it is unheard of. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So it's the same with that on, on the wall that I find the, the feeling of pressure. Guys have to feel it, you know, to actually improve or get that understanding. Same as mauling. You can talk about, come, you know, come with me. Let's shift. Let's break this front edge. But you have to have that feel for it. The, 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 the second one is I really enjoy that. I don't get that competition really anymore in training. So I like going with the guys.
0: Um, Are you better than all of them or not? Please give me that. Because um, when I talk about you, I don't talk about your playing career. I don't talk about you being an unbelievable do, coach at Ulster. I just say he's <laughs> unbelievable
2: at tapping people out. Do you know what? I, yeah, I'd be confident. I'd be confident with anyone who I win against. The Mullen? Say it. I've not done it with him yet, but I, no, I'd have my hands full with him. There, there's a couple guys where, you know, like I'm, I'm about 95 kilos now, but if you're a 130 kilo guy and they're really explosive, they're full time athletes. So they all, like, my hands will be full with a couple of them. I'd, I'd, go right with, I'd go right with you. I've actually, I've actually sent a few video clips just to mates of, uh, yeah, of a, of a, if, if they know a couple of the guys or whatever. Um, but, but it's also like the mental side is so big that, again, in rugby, like you never really get a, like, a full on one on one. Like you win or you lose. It's, it's always collective. You know, it's a team or a pack or a front row and a scrum or whatever it is. Scrumming, maybe your loose head or your tight head battle. But I find in that, and you can see guys, you can see guys break, quit, bite down, and if they don't have technique, they don't get it. Well, they don't have that feel, the push-pull. You can work on that, but I, I find the, the mental aspect amazing, and that's why, I, uh, that's why I really like going with the guys, and I'll pick guys who, who I, I want to see, like drag them into deep water and, oh, just, and just see how they go. Give us some names, come on. <laughs> no. So is it a case of
0: when you do these techniques, because the listeners will be thinking, why the hell are they talking about jiu-jitsu? I'm yeah. talking about it with you, one, because you're so good, but also the comparisons with a contact sport and the discipline, and that kind of tight mauling, clearing out at rooks, body position stuff. We're seeing more and more players from them backgrounds. Jamie Ritchie, a Scotland player who people might not realise, is he a black belt or something like that? He did judo growing up. Judo. I know it's a bit different to jiu-jitsu, but being in them positions, and also limiting the contact, because maybe come on to this now, around contact in training. When we were playing, it was literally full goo. That was it. Monday, Tuesday... If you could go again on Wednesday, you smash each other on a Wednesday and yeah. you get a Thursday off and team run, sometimes there's a bit of contact in that. So as a coach now, how hard is it managing that contact in the week? And I think you've kind of spoke about doing these exercises to try and mitigate the contact, but to also give them the feel of being strong, I suppose, in them
2: yeah, you, you, small you have, positions. you have to. I think uh, even just the... A story on this. I was thinking about this the other day. So Tom Smith, coached at Edinburgh, and I remember one one forward session. And in these days, so at Ulster, we never do split sessions, i.e. forwards in the morning, team in the afternoon. It's always in the morning, So which, which means our unit sessions are short, like 20 minutes is our longest unit session. We're mauling lineouts, scrum a little bit in that. All in 20
0: minutes? All in 20 minutes, oh, so it's a huge Walmart challenge. Our 20 minutes, yeah. where you have to try and rip the ball off each other <laughs> stood there for 20
2: minutes. 100%, but other teams now... And, then, and that's also where there's no right or wrong way. I know other teams now in the URC will still do split sessions. We'll forwards will have 40 minutes. I'm like, oh, imagine being a coach of that. Like, how good can you make the guys? But this Edinburgh one, I remember it was snow was thick down. Couldn't see the, the car park was covered. All the pitches were covered. And they just put in that 4G at, at Murrayfield. And uh, that was obviously covered in snow. That was the nearest one to the change room. So Tom was like, oh, we'll just go on this pitch. You didn't need any lines. Or and it was a mall pick and goo session (laughs) i remember honestly at the end of it boys were miserable like my hands like rain reynaud so like freezing hands couldn't hold the ball not that we needed to it was just pick and go and smash smash someone here and there but obviously with it with the snow knees were getting cut up boys were split anyway eyes and things i remember us walking off after an hour of it like good for the soul coming off looking back and it was like seal pups had just been clubbed there was just red all all over all over the snow i think there was a scrap as well those days like we used to have there was quite a lot of scraps in training and then and you'd also get to the other extreme and then after when when robber was there andy robinson was there that was one of the things oh we've spoken at length about it but i i look back now and reflect on it and reflect on the guys you played with and we've spoken about this loads about like fake tough guys because it's a real thing so I need to give a shout out to John Andrus. He is, so he's one of my best mates, but he's one of the very few people in rugby that understands that, realizes that, knows that, same with who he deals with, whether it's whatever players, that there always are those. But Andy Robinson was always- He's an agent now, isn't he? That's he, what you're saying. Yes, he's an agent now. So Andy Robinson would always be like, he, he just loved guys fighting in a mall session. And he, you know, he potentially would pick guys on it. So you'd get guys who just want to have a scrap. They never have a scrap like face-to-face, or anything. but that would be their way into But it just added to this to the forward sessions were, were, were tough and brutal. But to go back to your question, it is a challenge, mixing it up all now. I think like my coaching philosophy though, Jim, is is it doesn't really, it doesn't matter what I think, like, and how I feed back to a player, whether it's, I think it's, and forwards are different. Our group of forwards, I'm so proud of them. I really enjoy them i love working with them i'm proud of what in my journey this is my third season what we've created i've developed they've developed me i've developed them we are quite blunt in our feedback like totally different to backs as as you know forwards always are and i say that to non-rugby people and they don't quite get it they're just different people why differently but going into that like i can be frustrated that i i can't have as direct feedback as i as i'd like with some players just the way i am but I can't get hung up on that. Like it is what it is. I'm not gonna change that. The only way I'm gonna get the best out of them is changing how I approach with them. That that's similar like training. Like guys, bodies, the game's just the game's changed, mate, even in like four or five years. I've noticed the difference in playing now. It's brutal. It's physical. Guys need to be fresh. You just have to reduce and minimize and and look after bodies and keep guys fresh. I think when you go through your own experiences, like with my knee hanging off through to, you know, like a Jared Payne, he's brilliant. He retired with concussion. So he's hyper aware of of training, contact, you know, head injuries, more conservative. That's one of the benefits, I think, of ex-players going in. Not everyone, obviously, but I think the ones that have that awareness probably help in their coaching and help ultimately the players and hopefully looking after them a bit more when you speak about that that's
0: one thing when you speak to lads lads that we've played with guys that are coaching my best mate coaches lester deeks my mate ravo's arm he's the manager at gloucester we played in that time where it was bloody it was barbaric right is there a part of you that looks back on that and you're like why how resentful or happy that you had them experiences and it's kind of made you into the coach you are now you mentioned jarrah Payne, the understanding around concussion Because that's one part of doing these interviews, right, is to look back, but to look forward, have a little bit of a crack while we do it. But there's a part of, I'm all right, I'm easy looking back. It was all on me. Whatever happened, I decided to do it. No one pushed me into that. But some lads are quite resentful. How are you when you look back on your career, how it ended, but what it's given you now as a young coach?
2: Uh, Exactly the same. Not resentful at all. I think you can be, the the, the frustrations, not with, I suppose injuries because your body's battered, but like, that's what we signed up for. That It is what it is, you know. I, I think I'm really clear in my head um, with work, sport, anything. Like, experiences are a gift. Good, bad. Like, bereavements, traumas, joy, love, anything. It's 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 a gift. But it's how you reflect on it and how you process it. But, yeah, all of that. I'm so glad. I would not change. There's things you'd want. You'd change. But not... In the regret side of things, no, I'm I'm really glad at I'm I'm who I am because of it. Like anything, who what I've been through, work, life, would it's who I am. So it's it's all those things that shapes you, and you can then adjust and move on, and and yeah, like the the head the head trauma, like like we've been sparked in our careers i think it's what we sign up for you you want you and now i think th- there's great care about it and guys are a lot more in, and sure i think we know more now anyway is what we did as players about head trauma and things but yeah it, it made us who we are. i'm not I, I don't hold any grudges things are different life changes things change now so it's different to what we were in our day but geez no it, it made us who we are for sure
0: yeah absolutely
2: and the difference is
0: Being at Ulster, and I always looked at Ulster as one of the top teams in Europe. Not that they won a load of stuff to warrant that, but my time playing against Ulster, them being an Irish province. What's your experience of being there compared to spending all your career in Scotland? Not that Scotland isn't a high performance, but Scotland is a team that hasn't been overly successful in the years, especially, I know Glasgow won the Pro 12 as it was back then but going into an environment where there is real pressure, right, to win something. Ulster, there's an expectation. I chat to Stevie Ferris, he's obviously quite vocal in the media, but being an Irish province and the pressure, being at Ulster, the fans, I know it's the Kingspan, it was Ravenhill,
2: as I remember. Do you feel that? Yeah. Is, there, is there a difference? No, that, that, that's, that's spot on. But I, I, exactly, hit the nail on the head. I think having gone there, that is such a big thing to experience both as a player and a coach and you you almost did the reverse from Leicester to Edinburgh when there was obviously huge expectation at at Leicester not so much from Edinburgh and then obviously Gloucester, Montpellier, Saracens. I really look at that with you as a person as other people that have done it as such a big positive thing to actually want to go somewhere in that Mm. environment. There's loads of people that don't and it is whatever it is To them but that was a that was a big part of me going to Ulster and and actually now having been in there so you experienced it it's huge the pressure of expectation is massive it affects everything your process experience it's an experience that you have to go through you know and and the the interesting thing I find is okay well with Ulster like they in the past haven't won anything since Europe and whenever it was 99 you know you could argue well where's that expectation coming from But that's a whole different thing, and that's for the fans. to. But it's so good being somewhere where there's that pressure of expectation because it's a totally different change. That I didn't think would be as much. It was a reason why I went, you know, a big club and history, and and I knew it would be that. But it wasn't until I was in it that I was like, wow. You know, like, well, you must have had that, well, from Leicester, and then Saracens actually then backing up where you actually did have success. Yeah, that's what it's about.
0: I think when I look back on my career, and one thing I lacked a little bit, or quite a lot, was loyalty, right? Because I didn't want to stay around somewhere if I thought it was shit. Whereas I look at Tom Youngs, who retired recently for Leicester, and he had the good times at Leicester, but he was involved in the really bad times, but stuck it out. And there's a part of me that wishes, in some places that I was at, Edinburgh at the time, there was a few changes. I mean, let's get on to that. When we were at Edinburgh, when I was there, I thought the physio was abysmal. That's why I left. So it wasn't a case of loyalty. and got an opportunity to go to... France actually went to Gloucester instead of going to Paris and then Gloucester the wheels fell off there as well and I left there went to France it was crap there and then I was lucky enough at the end of my career that Saracens came in when I was in France and I bookend my rugby career with Leicester at the beginning and Saracens at the end but one thing I wish I had a bit more loyalty I do it in hindsight like I wish I stuck France out a couple more years just to see because a part of me that's like I just walked away because it was shit do you know what I mean Yeah. but when we were at Edinburgh it weren't Amazing! I left Edinburgh. I was there for two years. Some people wouldn't realise I was probably there. I mean, we we were right. We finished fourth,
2: S- second, second. Oh, we finished second. Robert we got one. Yeah, it was it was that one game. It was it was one of my first games, Cardiff away, and Ospreys. Was, uh, uh, that was the that was the year. What was that? Ospreys of the year we finished second yes. because we
0: yes. I scored a try. Yeah. Pick and goo, and we ended up getting about a fifteen grand bonus, and we basically bankrupted up to the S R U. Yeah,
2: but it's, I think Cardiff was the one after Ospreys. It was the, I'm sure Cardiff, whichever in my memory was either Cardiff was before Ospreys after. But I played in it. I think it was my third game or something. But it was this. I came in, and it was, but it was it was like it was either second or fourth, and the difference was like whatever, I, you know, a couple of hundred quid a game through to a grand a game, and it was and you know that. And, but that was also eye-opener to me in pro sport. That came up in the in the huddle. It was like. That was guys' motivation, which was fair enough. It was like, okay, this is an amount of grand game if you played it. Yeah, but like I think um, my take on, on your answer there would be if you regret not having that loyalty, like that's how you feel. But also there's pros and cons to anything in life. Like so I played at Edinburgh or well, the borders, but Edinburgh, the, you know, one club. And I was really proud at that time. I had options to move, but I wanted to stay. I don't know, because I was part of it, I was a captain well, the youngest captain but captain early on so I felt that sort of leadership and I don't know allegiance to them and that was definitely my thought process on, on wanting to do that so I'm, I'm proud I did that but equally looking back now I would have been quite happy moving on because there's there's pros and cons, so you get that. But then I didn't experience as a player other organisations or professionalism, like the professionalism and whatever you'd hear mates playing in the Premiership. You've done it, like they're just different and more or less, or exactly what we we're saying about even just having expectation of winning or pressure. Like we didn't really have that. We didn't have that in mm. Edinburgh. There was always, oh, you've got to be top four. But but know, winning something. Because, winning. Yeah, because... It, it's totally different. Th- and that's the thing,
0: and I, I flip-flop a lot in my life. When people ask me, and this is, comes from the from the South African contingent that we had at Saracens, it was a really interesting model because they spoke about motivation. You mentioned there where we are in the huddle and people motivated by getting a 15-grand bonus. Of course they were. And some people would be like, what? Like motivated by money and I think it was being at Saracens with the South African lads by the way they weren't motivated by money they might have been Scott Brits might have been they were motivated by people and making memories and the environment they were in and then you had elitists like Owen Farrell the Von Mako especially George Cruz they were there whether or not deep down they were there just to win they would tell you that that is what they're there for and I found that really interesting to the point now where I've retired and people say, "Oh, what do you think about in your career when you look back?" And I always go back to the people. Like we've obviously message and chat and laugh and smile about our time together. And there'll be a load of the other lads that I do that with. So it's easy for me to say, "Oh, so I'm is, not that special." Oh, you are special. You don't get. They don't get the videos. And they don't get a podcast. Very right. true. They might do. Deeks won't, especially because he can't <laughs> speak. But I speak about the people and the relationships that I've had. But I think deep down, I'm probably not telling the truth, because actually, that is. Why I was in it at the end of my career. I left France because I wanted to win something. I wanted to go out on my sword, being like, you know what? Even if I play 20 seconds in the European Cup final, I fucking won a European Cup, regardless of how that looks. Playing for Scotland for 10 years. And again, after dinner speeches, joking, taking the piss out of Phil Godman and Parksy. Great blokes. Great blokes. Mad Phil. Mad Phil. I'm not allowed to call him Phil now. He won't let me say his name when I do speeches. I call, it, I call him Steve Godman <laughs> instead, so I don't get sued. He said he was going to sue me. But I was desperate for that success, like desperate. I mean, at Ulster, you're a team that are in it. In Europe, really should have beat Toulouse when, when you look at it. The URC, the hotly contested Leinster are always so good. But like how much does that drive you? Yeah, it does.
2: I think um, on, on your Saracens final, I was there in the crowd with a couple of mates on the beers. Were
0: you laughing when I came on?
2: Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously in the front, John Terry. That was a bigger laugh.
0: Uh, I uh, was always going to happen. I thought I've always stayed at the back because I'm so humble. In the past, I was like, not this time. <laughs> You've I was always like, been humble. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to that, deep down, I was like, look, I don't want to be front and centre. I'd be at the back spraying a bit of champagne. But I thought this one, fuck you. I'm in front of Owen Farrell, Brad Barrett. You can't see Maro toji and I'm literally with the trophy with Petrus Dubu- C.
2: We were the workhorses.
0: We deserved that You moment. played
2: all the way up to the final, though, did yes, you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, yeah, the, the Ulster one, definitely. I think, um, yeah, like like you, I'm, I'm, I haven't won anything, really. I don't say that like I'm never going to win something, or I don't think you are a born winner. Like, I'm a born competitor. So I'm hoping I will win something with Ulster. We all are but for sure that's that's a huge drive like you want to be the best whether I coach forever probably not so i, w- I want to look back and at least know i was somewhere that could have been and we are close you know we're we're in the final we lost in the final URC final to Leinster which it's not never easy against Leinster uh, to lose we had in the you know in the quarters so it, you know it, it's close but yeah 100% everyone's driven to win and wanna win which which is great I also do think though, just don't pick up on your point, I'm clear and happy knowing my motivation will change season to season, you know, a couple years, three years, five years, and, and that's fine. You know, any, like you mentioned some of those England guys, I pick up on that as, okay, well, they're, they're well-paid guys anyway, so maybe they don't have to worry about exactly. money, so they can focus on winning, South exactly. African guys. Okay, maybe they're not worried about money, but all their pond goes into the ZAR, so like money then probably isn't an issue for them, because that's their reality, but then they want to have fun, like they're in a different environment, and that's all good. Earlier in that five years before that, you know, maybe when they're in South Africa, earning good rand would have would have been important. So that, that's also where I'm really happy and content that my motivations will change for sure. But also, I think you have to have that awareness in anything, life, rugby, business. You have to be aware of what your motivations are and make decisions accordingly. Like in rugby. As we know, things change week by week. But as a coach, there's a career. So you And I'm a young coach that I want to get better. That's so important to me and honing my craft and getting better. And vehicles will help me to do that, whether that's club or people. That has to fit what my motivation is at the time or my goal. So that's winning something. Well, then you pick career decisions that will take you to a club that has the chance to win. That's also what I don't think in pro sport. There's not enough realists. Well, that's the thing. How do you measure success?
0: Because the likelihood is, if you look at it frankly and you look at it across the board, and we'll get into the depths of IRFU and how much yeah. they fund Ulster. No team, really, maybe some French teams, should beat Leinster. When you look at their budget, and this is the thing: playing for Edinburgh back in the day, or playing for Scotland when Scotland play New Zealand. And again, it's a joke that I have a mastered in speech where Andy Robinson knocks on the door and says, "Jim, can we beat the All Blacks?" I'm like, "Fucking no chance." Oh, tell me why, tell me why, you're not going to play unless you think that we can. So on the Monday, he knocks on the door and I say, mate, I think we can beat them. Yeah, and then I ended up playing, we got beat 49 points to six or something. (laughs) We were playing the All Blacks who were 12 games unbeaten. They averaged four tries a game. We'd lost six in a row, something ridiculous. We hadn't scored a try in nine, something ridiculous. And I was basing it on that. So I was realistic that the likelihood is we weren't going to beat the All Blacks. And I found after that game where everyone was down, we went on to beat South Africa the week after I got dropped. Then we lost to Tonga and Andy Robinson got dropped uh, and got sacked as coach. But I'm looking at that, I'm like, right, well, how do you measure success? Because the likelihood is if we play, even though we beat South Africa, but really on nine times out of 10, South Africa should beat Scotland, right? New Zealand, you could say 10, 10 times out of 10, which they have done, we've never beaten them, should beat Scotland. Saracens play Worcester, nine times out of 10, Saracens are going to win. All right? Leinster, the majority of teams they play, they win. So then it comes down to as a coach, but as a player, and fans expectation, like how do you measure success? And this was the thing being at Saracens where I joined the year they got beat by Northampton in the Prem Final and then Toulon smashed them in Europe. And I think, geez, I'm gonna, it's gonna be down as anything. And one thing that stuck with me was like, if we're measuring success on a trophy, then the likelihood is, we've failed every year because the likelihood of us winning a trophy every single year we look statistically no one really does that you can go back-to-back back. teams have done that Saracens did that but going three four five six just doesn't happen Leinster maybe in the URC so then they spoke about well what's happened then are, are, are we measuring this we scored the most tries we had the best defense Marcello Bosch had twins so-and-so <laughs> got married there was a stag do. Oktoberfest. So, exactly, went to Oktoberfest, so-and-so got divorced. Frank, a, Frank the Tank
2: was there. <laughs>
0: celebrating memories. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because how does a team like Ulster, because you could go three, four years now with Leinster, with the money they've got, with the players they've got, and never win the URC. Does that mean that you're a failure? Does that mean you're a failure as a coach? But how do you
2: measure it as, as coaches... Being successful yeah i think um well say speak on behalf of me i'd say you have to be clear with what success is so exactly your point but i think yeah you, you have to define it to in order to know what success is i would say and i'm aware i would be unique in this thinking or i've not heard many other people speak about it let's say pro sport by nature is outcome based Clearly, like my job is based on if we if we lose a few games, like I'm I'm gone. But that it is what it is. Like it's outcome based. Winning a trophy, you got a trophy. You don't like you win at your first or second. It's outcome based. I am wired probably naturally and through experiences and what I think I would be more process based, process driven. So outcomes are always gonna be there. But I think if you hang up everything on an outcome, how do you get up after that? If you're all about an outcome and it's gone, you're like. Oh, fuck, what, what now? I personally like the, the thought process of having a goal as, as a process. So you, you want to be the best you can. Like, I think rugby, playing, playing against another seven, Marty Hollow gave me a nightmare. I couldn't do it. But always the opposite number. I was like, on my day, I, I'm better than anyone. I could be better than anyone. I'm not going to do it all the time. Same as jiu-jitsu. Like, I might be better than someone on my day, but also there's going to be someone better than me. Hundred percent. So, well, will I win that? Maybe, I've got a chance, but probably not. So, I, I think that's the same. But anything, so I, I try to get that into my coaching. So, I know this is a sort of long way to answer your question, but it's the same as lineouts. I know you obviously love a lineout. If you're going against a team that statistically, let's say, I think coaches and people that are in pro sport or driven or OCD, like, get caught up on stats. I like stats, but I'm not, I'm not a slave to them. Against an opposition lineout, they steal 70% of the ball. They're, you know, like a Montpellier, you play them in Europe now, like they're unreal. To lose, like Rory Arnold, like like we lost a couple lineups the first game, then we did really really well the second game. Like I'll try say to the guys, like, we will lose a couple. Like it is what it is. I'm mm. a realist. Like I'm not expecting a 100%. Six foot nine lifted by six foot eight, 150 kilo lock. Like it is what it is. And then you've also got your drill, your process to get right. There's so many factors that you need to get right. But if you can focus on being absolutely your best, brutal, have, when we do win the ball, if team wants, wants to go really hard against us in the air. So we've, we've got a fucking good mall at Ulster. If teams want to go hard in the air, i.e. stop it at source. Sweet. Like you might steal a couple. I'm, I'm fine with that. But if we win it, like we'll, we'll batter you. So that's the sort of process of being like, sweet, go for it. We might lose one or two, but the success then is when we are, when we do get it, set up our mall, like, we'll smash you. Then that's a win. And just add, build on those as a game, I think. Does that make sense? It does. And the mall is back.
0: How good is it to see the Maul back? <laughs> Who would have thought that you, not that you weren't a Mauler, you were. You're were a Mauler and Brawler. But being in the back row has developed also. I mean, you must know the stat. How good are they in comparison to the other teams that you see around Maul?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: please, mate. It's How a, high? Give me a number. Where are you? Do you know? Statistic, Statistic, be top, yeah, we yeah, yeah. would be top. Okay. Um, <laughs> I did see that on some stats a while ago. And I,
2: don't, I don't look at a lot of stats, but the ones I look yeah, at... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what does that mean?
0: Um, so in terms of Ulster having the best... What more is that try scored? Is meet, that metres made? Okay. Yeah. So they look at everything now. So it would be yeah. metres made. So as soon as you win the ball, the amount of metres you drive yeah. to the cow sheds and back. So,
2: but it's also, you know, you go back to success. So there's all sorts of mini successes. What is success? So that, for me, that's a big part of our game is mauling. Exit maul, you know, maul to win a penalty, like, you know, recruitment, Dwayne Fumulin in, you know, you you have to be able to mark where you are. It's not an anecdotal thing. There's, I think, a lot to be said for that still in rugby and having a feel of things or perception, like, you know, you can't put a stat on perception, but fuck it, you know, it it counts. But yeah, so so that's important to us is is meters. So we're either winning a penalty or we're going to, like you said, more to their cow sheds in back. Tell me, tell that to the boys. <laughs> <laughs> or is it serious? No, is it Roddy or
0: Rodders or <laughs> Granty What are they calling you there, Mister Grant? <laughs> <laughs> so there's no cow sheds in back there, is there? No, there is that. There is that. And the scrum's gone. You could say, couldn't you? Really? Yeah. The contest at the scrum isn't again going back over old ground. A couple of years ago, South Africa's dominance over England is what effectively won them the game. But it is a bit of a lottery. Without calling out refs, I'm not expecting you to in the URC, but I'll say it, they're pretty average at times. And, 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 and the, the mall is the only place where really that kind of eight, I know yeah. the backs
2: come in now, but they're just adding a bit of color as opposed to power. <laughs> and there's, just, there's a lot less scrums. in And again, mm. you know, numbers-wise, there'll generally always be double malls than a scrum. Do you still speak about scrums?
0: Is that still a thing? Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. Oh, it
0: is, okay. So like, you'll be in the changing rooms and the front row, because you look at the profile of the front rows, a lot of them, if they can get double figures in the carries, a lot of them, most of them, get double figures in the tackle. Before that was never even a thing. If you know Julian White, I was at Leicester. He would yeah. like he'd, he'd, if the ball came towards him, he'd have his hands down. He'd be like, yeah. I, knock on, I want to scrum. Gross. Yeah, Jeff Cross. Yeah, <laughs> but he didn't want a scrum. But Julian White, <laughs> Julian White, purposely would knock the ball on so he could get a scrum <laughs>
2: yeah. and absolutely hose yeah. it. Yeah, but do, do you know? What I find. Uh, I've said this to a few people. Where I think rugby's changed is maybe even from when you are at Montpellier. Right about that time, maybe before. <laughs> I'm not meaning this for you. But like French teams would sign the biggest humans. That was it. Around. And, and they were the big money signings. So when I turned up to Montpellier,
0: I purposely went leaner because I wanted to be fit, hit yeah. the ground running. And I got there and they wouldn't play me for the first two games because I wasn't heavy enough. Yeah. Like no shit.
2: I'm sure, but but that's where I, th- I find now. Will Skelton's the perfect example. You played with him at Saracens, best player, I'd say. I, he'd be my number one. He'd be player. a good, he'd be a top mauler as well. i yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, you, him, Dwayne Furlong. So, uh, but he's the case in point. He's a huge human that's unbelievable at rugby. Those are the those are the, the guys you're getting in the game now. Same mm-hmm. as scrumming. Like you are getting big guys who can scrum, but then you know Tag Furlong who can carry because you, you have to do more than one thing now. I think in rugby. Well, that's where I've seen say a trend.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with twenty five thousand miles on. I got it to over two hundred thousand miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't.
2: Dwayne Vermeulen, how the hell has he ended up in Belfast? He is such a good bloke. He is such a good bloke. He, yeah, I mean, there's, I've got a good connection with him, I guess, whether it's just upbringing. He's six months older than- So you than, signed him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, He's older than you? Six months older. No, he's not. How six old, how old are you? 35.
0: Oh, I thought you were older than that. No. Maybe just, you are a young coach. You'd be one of the youngest about, wouldn't you?
2: I- You know the stats, I, come on. No, I, You I, are the youngest. I think I still am but then I've been the youngest in the URC for the last five years as well, you know? So that's oh, when I have my bad days, I'm like, okay, I'm not doing too badly here. Oh, but mate, You sign
0: for Mullen basically.
2: Oh, like I, I definitely, you, you get his name across the table or he's an option. Like get him, mm. you know? So, so you did. So when his name came up, because initially people would look at it and be like, well, he's a bit old. Yeah. I suppose like uh, recruitment is, it's so varied in so many clubs. So, you know there's always lists of players as to you know who's available because quite often that's the only way if they're out of contract or if you don't have whatever club you can't buy players out so obviously you, you put your who you think are important forward so yeah i mean he's he's always been a big fan of him yeah if, he, if he's an option you're, you're was mad, it an you're, option you're, was, you're, he was he available you're mad keen I, I don't quite it was all quite sudden how it all came about but Bryn cunningham did a, did an amazing job in getting him so he he does all the contracting yeah liaising with him with his agent yeah and managed to manage to get him and and genuinely like he's a, he's a great bloke really really good bloke he's great with other guys i think that the south african the south africans the irish guys got a got a shock as to how big of a deal let's say he was when we were in south africa the last couple of weeks Honestly, he's like david beckham in south africa but all the time in the world for kids and mobbed by everyone. People in security in airports, like, oh, is Dwayne? Is Dwayne with you? And huge deal. But it also speaks more about him that he's the most humble guy ever. All the time in the world for all sorts of people. Yeah, great professional. Like we, we, you and me, and then John Andrus speak about tough guys. The guys would be substituted for another word. There's not that many in rugby, believe it or not, listeners. Like there's hard guys, but there's. Like there's not I could say on a handful literally a handful of guys I've played with that I would consider proper tough. And he's yeah, he's proper tough. Both uh on the pitch but just coping with injuries, body, like mentally m- mentally mm. great outlook on life, um life experiences has given him that as well. Amazing look. And and for for coaching, genuinely, again, with suppose, being at a club that you can get these world class players, you know, world cup final player of the player of the match player of the tournament you realize again levels so there's world-class players i see well this is how i see it is so there's a cohort to them and he's a world-class player clearly but then he's a one percent of a world-class player within forward play within mauling so that's like a very very unique individual that then coaching uh, you know i'm learning a lot from him i'm trying to use him a lot as I can everything through to how he behaves or how he moves like in a line-out walkthrough like <laughs> you would have felt that your body's hanging off on the Monday because you're still knackered from the weekend but you still still move very del- deliberately selling dummies whatever it is it's just it's just so apparent you realize why he's so good that's amazing that
0: you speak about him as a mauler and a line-out forward because Obviously, I know you've missed out the obvious ones about him being a ball carrier, physicality. Yeah, exactly, good over ball. But it's the nuances, it's the small things. As a coach, that you're picking up on one of the world's best players. Like, I would never, and I know he's a good mauler because I've commentated, I watch you guys, and I enjoy them all. I would never say that could potentially be... He's fooled you in a few times as well, hasn't he? Yeah, he he has, yeah. Yeah, he was all (laughs) over me, the South Africans. I always say, right, with South African players, and again, chatting to Deeks and listening to Alex Sanderson, having played with a few South African players, if you're a team that is struggling in any facet of the game, scrum, line-out, drive, getting over the game line, physicality, a team that is susceptible to having lots of injuries, sign a South African, or in Leicester's case, a few, you know, or in Saracen's case, a few. I'm looking at the profile of South African players, and my mind has changed from... Not that you shouldn't sign Samoans, Fijians and Tongans. I would have always said before, that is what I would have done as a coach. I would, I'd, and of course you need them, players from Samoa, Tonga and Fiji, the best players in the world. But in terms of durability, humility, when I'm looking at it now, every South Africa player to a man, nine out of 10, comes and delivers. You, you look at the profile of the players playing in Europe and more are coming to the Prem, more are coming to the, well, they're in the URC now, but the appetite to do, do that in URC, obviously the lads at Munster as well. Like, what is it about South African players that make them
2: so good? Yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd say, you know, an upbringing, like it's, it's especially sort of Afrikaners and things like they're, they're tough, hardy folk. It's experiences, upbringing. I think South Africans then from a rugby point of view, generally, they seem to be very durable. So you, you get bang for your buck. They, they play a lot, you know. And is
0: that a stat? Is, is that a fact? I mean, I'm saying it superficially, but it is a thing, right? I'd also
2: say it superficially. I'm sure there's some stats out there, but when do when do those guys miss they games don't. much? No, they like they roll out game after. Brad Barrett, you know, mates of ours. I so I played age group with him in South Africa, but played every game and mm. physical every game. You know, Dial and Munster. The list goes on. Dwayne, like roll them out and they 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 go. So I think they're really they travel really well. I think is this the other sort of you know anecdotal thing is. If you're going somewhere new or to a new team, like we all know Welsh guys generally don't travel well in terms of other clubs. There obviously are the the few that travel well, Jamie Roberts and whatnot. But if you generalize, like they don't travel that well. And they'll say that that as well, well. that's true. Yeah, Islanders, like, you know, there's a lot, I think, that has to go in to make an environment really good for them. And if they're there, then that's great. But there's a lot that can go wrong, you know, if, if you don't have the right environment for them or you don't get the most out of the performance. So, yeah, I'd agree. I think, yeah, just really durable. Probably the upbringing. Upbringing in what way? Farms? Yeah.
0: Religion? Like, there's a few things, isn't there? I think it's interesting that, like, you're saying these things because
2: people just think, oh, there are ball carriers. They don't understand the depths of yeah. them I, as men. I, I think so. And I, and I think even even more in, in a community or in a group, personally, like, for me, Again, reflecting on my upbringing, you know, you're around so many different types of people in Africa, South Africa, one country, country, there's 11 official languages, 11. Within those languages, there's traditions that are all different. There's behaviors that are all different. You know that, you learn it, you pick up on people, you read people, you read situations, your situational awareness in Africa growing up there is totally different to here. Like, you know, I'm more aware in, in groups, for example, like looking at people looking for behaviors because they you know they you could find yourself in trouble, you could go through a dodgy area, you pick up on cues that I think that makes you whatever, a rounded person or it just gives you life experience or assimilating into a group, you can then have those conversations. like I, I reflect a lot on you know, I suppose who I am, or growing up being around extreme poverty, being around different languages, different cultures, how to greet people, how you greet a Zulu person is different to an Afrikaans person, an English-speaking South African, through to anything. And there's traditions that go with it. You know, if you shake a Zulu's hand, you put your other hand un- under your under your forearm, because traditionally that shows you're not carrying a, an assegai, a weapon. But that's all important to their culture, through to, that a, you know, a... A private boarding school around a lot of wealth. And I could then, I'd have to know how to hold a conversation with parents that have vast fortunes through to, you know, anything um, that I think rounds
0: you as a person. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about the pressures of South African players coming out of South Africa. And I mean that with the younger age groups, because you look at the profile of some of the guys coming through or across the board, they're huge. And we know the reasons why there's an Afrikaans element to that. Is that Dutch, is it? That's Dutch, yeah. It is. Yeah. Do you, have you, give us a little bit of insight into that. I was with Eminet Zabeth in France the week, and I'm looking at him, and I'm a big man, right?
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, he, and again, it would be the same with... Not in great shape now, but it, a big man. I mean, I, I, I genuinely, I felt embarrassed stood next to him. I felt like a skeleton. But I'm looking at him, I'm looking at Vermeulen, Snyman, who's over at I'm Munster. On. The list is endless. Yeah. You know, back is both, or I know he's probably three times the size he was as a player. But that Afrikaans element, what is that? I mean, you can, the listeners, yeah. they're listening to your accent as well. You're yeah. from Botswana,
2: is Yeah, that? born and grew up in Botswana okay. to Scottish parents. So I, l- I look the parts anytime I'm in Scotland or when I was in Scotland, they'd be like, oh, you're definitely Scottish. How I start did speaking they're like, where are you from? Same in Northern Ireland, because Northern I look Celtic, obviously. How did you as a kid survive in Botswana when you were, I mean, it's, we'll say, ready blonde?
0: auburn 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 african sunset
2: how the hell (laughs) so honestly no word of a lie i reflected this now being like i have resilience and thicker skin because of being the only redhead in botswana till i was 14 the only one the only one the only other one came at 14 was an irish expat family i was the only one i'd go into like me and my mates um, would all have our motorbikes, and Botswana at the time was was rural. Like what you mean, was, motorbikes, what when you were scramblers? Oh, okay, when you were a kid. Oh yeah, like Pee wee fifties all the way to one to two fifties. And Botswana was really rural at the time. Like growing up, my mom told me this other, the other day. We we visited my uncle in Kimberley, which is in South Africa, but they had pavements and street lamps. And I re- I remember saying to my mom, "This is the best place in the world," and they had a p- swimming pool with a diving board. That was the best place in the world for me at the time. And looking back, like, it was absolutely <laughs> dumb. Um, but we didn't have pavements. There was only a few tarred roads, like no street lights, you know, just to give a bit of context. But there was a little bit of tarred roads, but loads of dirt. So we just literally jump on our bikes, out the gate, go to our mate's house, get on his bike, and then just go into the just dirt roads and just go. And there'd be... Mud huts, like genuine mud huts. You pass through a little village, you stop, they'd all come out because they'd never seen a motorbike before. And then I'd get my helmet off. And out of all my mates, kids would come up to me and just <sighs> put their hands through my hair because I thought it was hot. <laughs> and I was like, chill <laughs> out. But I, I i hated it at the time. And then freckles as well. that The thing that got me, though, was I was like, uh, why do you have so many spots? And I was like, they're not spots, they're freckles. <laughs> I used to hate it. But yeah, so that, I, I guess. Uh, yeah, resilience from that. And you obviously get, oh, you get all everything. And then Roddy, hated Roddy, because no one heard it before. So yeah, probably had resilience from that growing up. But yeah, g- growing up in yeah, in Botswana, only redhead for 14 years. And what about the pressures then of the players coming
0: through South Africa? And I say that, and it's one of them things that you can't really speak about, because when you mention drugs, performance-hunting drugs in rugby, it's not something you hear about. You hear about it in the yeah. UFC, yeah. you heard about it in boxing, Uh, and obviously the Olympics and these other sports. But I think there is a question out there around drugs in South African rugby. Like, do you know much about it? I know Craven Week, and I'm looking at it like there's lads that are 16 years old, and there's this article that I read on the BBC. So it's not kind of new news. It's old news on there where parents were taking their kids to get injected. And one of the things, having played with some South Africans, with painkillers and all these different things that we used to take as players, they are more than happy to go the extra yard when it comes to vitamins and stuff like that. But I know that there's obviously a line. But the pressures of these young South African lads coming through Craven Street and they're looking at the players in front of the size of the men, how much pressure are they under? Do you
2: know? For for sure. Like I'd say, easiest description. I think there's, there's a few things that go into it. So the first thing is money. So in South Africa, you know, jobs and everything and university and then jobs from university you know, would be less for for a lot of people or certain groups in South Africa. And then there's big money in South Africa. And in my day, so I played Craven Week 2004, 2005. So Brad Barrett, Dwayne Fumulens uh, turned out I played against Dwayne, weirdly, in 2004. But Brad, Al Hargreaves. So we all played that. In that day, guys were getting signed out of school with signing bonuses. For in, where? For super clubs? Yeah, for the Sharks. The Bulls would be the big ones, you know and like signing bonuses, 18 year old kids, and then they'd be on a retainer. Okay, the retainer wasn't massive, but the bonus, let's say, to give it to, I don't know, it'd be like, I don't know, the the amount would say be a a small car, you know, like a polo, for example, would be a bonus just to sign. So there was huge monetary incentives. I don't know what it is now, but that was big then and and making it. Um, School rugby in itself is huge. Like 15,000 people would come to our school game so the analogy would be like a Friday Night Lights in America. Whether you want to make professional or not, you're the man at school. There's all the kudos that come with it, everything. So you do everything you can to be part of that brotherhood, that first team. Like you're never going to get that time again, whether you play professional or not. So there's that driver. Um, there's the other big driver, like Wales, would be the alpha male syndrome in nightclubs, and you know, walk around with a chest out, oh, being, being the bodybuilder. So there's that pressure of just being a big human bodybuilding culture so you get that but that flows into rugby everything so you get this hot pot of pressure to be good to be part of something to have kudos to have respect to earn a living to earn money if you're not from a privileged background you know potentially then you know the money's a big thing to look after your family it is just an unbelievable amount and that was in my day like what 20 years ago close to so I'm, I'd imagine now it's even it's even more now, you know? So, yeah, and there would have be been like an... an out, yeah, I was aware of all of that stuff going on in 2004 of, of guys, you know, taking performance enhancing drugs through to random just supplements that you know clearly aren't good, but maybe you're not going full out. Yeah, I mean, you all know, you know, I know guys who'd be playing that, there'd be rumors of being like, oh yeah, he definitely did X and Y, mm-hmm. but it is what it is or it's gone. He did that before not saying they're doing it now but there's just so much pressure on it so much pressure on it that they they would be under huge pressure then and they they will be now and with
0: the lads and the pressure that they're under do you think a lot of it would be if it's not rugby then what else is there because south africa let's not forget is a country that is literally on its knees or on its back you speak to a lot of people from there a lot of lads i've got a lot of mates from there very rarely go back unless there's a wider opportunity, normally, for them to be able to travel. Like it's one of my favourite countries. It yeah. probably is my most favourite country. I absolutely
2: love it there, but yeah. if not rugby, then what else? No, agreed. Everything, though. Everything, like, it's hard to get into universities now. Yeah, we're with numbers, people going, say, okay, well, if I'm not going to get into a good university and you need to get in a good university for universal reputation, Okay, you go down the rugby route and rugby then is your vehicle as well, either to earn money or to get a British passport or get a French passport or it's your vehicle out of South Africa. So it does suddenly become, I think, hugely important and, and an incentive for people to get out. Right, probably two Scottish
0: heroes sat here. Let's wrap it up. Scotland rugby, where the hell are we at? How, Not, I say we, I don't know why I put you into that. How, how, many,
2: how many caps do you have? 59. No, 63. 63. Six, r- 63 caps between us. Two legends. Exactly. <laughs> I,
0: I actually, I thought you played for Scotland.
2: No, do you not? You were th- I know you played on the 7th se- Circuit. Yeah, tw- 12 A, a games. Um, I actually went to the Croke Park game. This is actually a decent story for you. Uh, you know the game we played, Croke Park, Dan Parks kicked the winner? Do I remember? It's the only game I remember. So, <laughs> so I was, 20, tw- in those days, 23rd man. And I was like, yes, I'm, I might get a cap. Uh, I had a grew a hair contest with Mark Robertson. I even lost the bet because I thought if I get capped, I want to have at least I can't have a shocking hairdo. So we went through all this, and the uh, the night before your back was hanging like mine was. Yeah, hanging. And, and I suppose this is oh, this is also an interesting thing to yeah. say for people who don't quite realize. So I remember going through the team room the night before. Like you were literally you couldn't move. You're lying on the floor you couldn't sit you couldn't lie on your bed you couldn't sit on the couch you just had acupuncture you you literally couldn't move and i was like obviously (laughs) we were mates but i was like gutted for you but yes this means i'll get on the bench so i'll get a cap so i was i was like yes genuinely i'm really stoked unfortunately jim but i this is my chance because i was like there's no way there is no way you can play tomorrow i'm not blowing smoke up your ass here but there is no, you were, you couldn't move. I remember because it was 2010 and my back, yeah. I did my back, I think
0: the game before against England I actually yeah. came off, but
2: yeah. And, and so that the England game before Kelly Brown got concussed. That was right. And then he, I think he somehow managed to play the next week. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to get a chance, but I got 23rd. Your back was gone. And so that was the first one. I was like. Awesome, I'm actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here. Because there's no way. I'm I, sorry, I blame Stephen Murch. I could I could see no way you could play. Which gives an insight as to what players go through. Not all, clearly, because I do consider you as one of the tough guys. And then in the warm-up, John, I think it was John Barker, or Kelly Brown anyway, rolled an ankle. And I saw this happening and I was like, yes, I'm in here. <laughs> yeah. Taped it up and then rolled them out. I was like, ah. Oh. So I didn't get it. But then, yeah, so I was on that. It would, then, I, it would have been a great cap to get. It would have been all cap. So no, so, so it didn't, didn't. See how,
0: I mean I, now you say it, I look back, I kinda remember my back. I remember the night
2: out with the Mumford yeah, and Sons. Yeah. Baggered. Oh it's it's I weird. We talk about the wooden block with saving your career with your knees, but we didn't even get your, onto your, that. your back was a wooden block. Well the, that day. The, the
0: thing is I nearly retired. Like I my knee when I was at Edinburgh, that's yeah. why I left.
2: And we how funny is that wooden Got block? The, me, Alex Grove. Any <laughs> anytime the two of us comment on social media Whoever it is (laughs) likes it to know we were both bringing it up. Did
0: I say the wooden block saved my life? (laughs) Did I quote unquote say that? I know quote unquote it saved my
2: career for the listeners. The V. It's like a block of cheese, but it's it's wooden. That you do the patella. That's it. I was one of the the first players or rugby players to go through. And you don't over-exaggerate anything. No, So for you to say that I was basically lost my leg.
0: I nearly (laughs) lost my leg. Massive. Is what I'm going to say. I had a a bad tendon in my knee. And I was one of the first players to go through that process of... Great Dane. You should have been put down. Yeah, I really should have. I was in awful shape by the end. But then I thought my career was going to be over and I was not even in my prime. But I had a, a hole in my patella tendon. To
2: the cows, come home. I sack them all. I couldn't. You could sack them all. I could sack them
0: all yeah. when you could sack <laughs> it. But we, I had a hole in my patella tendon. It was the days when Owen Hargree, uh, um, Owen Hargreaves, the footballer yeah. at Man United, he had surgery on his. Rafael Nadal, he was struggling with his patella tendon. They didn't know what to do with them. I know a lot of lads went through the Achilles. Yeah. And I started doing a bit of research online because the physios at Edinburgh were fucking a joke. So I'm like, well, whatever you're doing here ain't making it right. And I started researching around patella tendons. And I found this article, right, where this guy years ago, let's say he was a farmer, was having patella tendon pain. And the way that he dealt with it was trying to snap his tendon in his knee. So putting heavy weights on his back or whatever, or carrying hay bales and trying to snap his tendon. And he found out that that is what actually helps it
2: fix itself. And, And that's what they do now, like in the clubs, loading all prevention stuff, like patellas, Achilles. I'll tell you a funny story. I did a, um, about just before COVID, I did an Ironman. Long story short, signed up to it. A half Ironman, sorry. Long story short. Let's si- just say it was an Ironman. Go, an Ironman. <laughs> signed up to it. Uh, but two weeks before, before I did it in Durban, it was for a, my best mate who died. He did it the year before. Mac was his name, uh, Matthew McDonald. So we, all our group of mates called it the Iron Mac. So it was about 50 guys all signed up to do this half Ironman. And initially guys were like, oh, but you can do a leg, you can do, and I was, eventually I was like, and and I was going back to the school to hand over a trophy on his on behalf of his family, you know, as a memorial trophy. And then they were like, oh, the IMAX this weekend, just join. And I was like, nah, I don't train, don't do anything, don't run, haven't run ever because i would retired with a goose knee. Eventually I was like, ah, okay, I'll do it. I'll, do, I'll, just, I'll just do the whole thing. So I literally didn't run, didn't swim. Uh, I did one 2K in the Commonwealth pool just to show I wouldn't drown never been in a clip-on bike did a the odd watt bike session but i was like i i know i'll get through it like just i'll just chew through it but i'll just need to load my patellas and uh, achilles because that's i don't want that blowing out because that'd be a disaster Anyway, so I, I i then did a load of that not done it since there you go um, so we take the piss anyway i reinvented there the wheel go. of patella tendon
0: and achilles tendon pain i think it should be known as the jimbo prehab i can't believe you've done Let's call it an Ironman on two weeks training. <laughs> that is the difference, really, between me and you. Like, you are an it excellent was, machine. It
2: was horrific, but one of the best things I've ever done.
0: It is. Mate, I'm loving what you're doing at Ulster. Um, a young coach. The youngest coach in the URC. That is right, isn't it? I think
2: still. Yeah, 35. let's say
0: it is. I mean, you are a bloody young coach. But you're smashing it. Very engaging. And we spoke about loads We could have spoke for hours. And when you're back properly, and my back's back properly we'll go and roll and I'll try and tap you out Sounds good. the me. first time do you think I could or not just say yes or no don't you could give it a go yeah but I couldn't could I you didn't see enough with me did you it was a short session <laughs> <laughs>